I want to thank Pickleball and Daniel Snyder. <laughs> Wait, Liv doesn't make that? <laughs> and Liv Golf. <laughs> right, because without Pickleball and Daniel Snyder and Liv Golf, we'd have 20-minute episodes. <laughs> Maybe those listeners that I was just referring to might be happier, but they give us no shortage of things to talk about on this program. So thank you. Welcome to Wait What? Sports Biz Chat with DP and McGee, the podcast where we take a sometimes cynical, sometimes irreverent, and a sometimes serious look at the business of sports. I'm your co-host, Tim McGee. And I'm David Paro. David, let's get right to it. We are uh, we are a bit of a, a different experience, you and I, today. I'm actually in Montreal for a conference, and you're in a new state-of-the-art studio facility. So hopefully uh, hopefully that energy translates to our, to our episode today. What's on your mind? Well, first of all, hope the travels have been going well, and good luck with everything up there in uh, Montreal. Yes, I'm. I don't know if it's state of the art; it's state of something, and it is pretty cool to be uh, down here. And uh, hopefully, the recording comes out okay. Uh, but nice to have access to uh, to an actual studio. Um, anyway, listen. The the big story, obviously, going on in the sports business right now revolves around FIFA World Cup, and not just that it is FIFA World Cup, or not just that it is World Cup in being played in November and December, it's that it's World Cup in Qatar. And, and obviously there have been a lot of controversies swirling around this from bribery scandals to uh, their laws as it relates to LGBTQ and if they're going to be welcoming. The thing that I guess struck me most over the last couple of weeks, including this weekend when, and when Johnny Infantino took to the mic at a press conference to try to, I guess, push away or stifle any of the dissent that's going on or the criticism going on. It, it, and it is no surprise that he would want uh, and FIFA would want the protests on the pitch to be tamped down. And, and I get that. I haven't been particularly high on the way he has gone about it. And I do think that this is going to end up being a legacy piece for his leadership of FIFA. We talked a couple of weeks ago about uh, FIFA 2.0, their big strategic plan that they are in the midst of, uh, which is to grow the game and to do good. And you specifically asked Eduardo Solis about, about that point about doing good. And there definitely seem to have been some opportunities to take a step forward in that regard. They granted the games to Qatar. That's where the games, that's where this tournament is being held. Uh, so yes, people are people are living with it, even though some it's not sitting well with some. But to go up and just basically draw equivalency to everything, and that's what I saw from him when he criticizes Europe for hundreds and hundreds of years of of uh, colonial mentality and, and and what they have done in other parts. That's fine. That's that's great to to do that, uh, but making sure not to say anything at all that might be offensive to the standards that FIFA says they represent, I found to be a missed opportunity. I agree, I th and I, I think there is a certain tendency by people from our part of the world, right, the Western world, right, Western Europe, United States, Canada, where I am today, 
to sort of expect the rest of the world to follow our lead in terms of things that we take for granted, right? In terms of human rights, in terms of being able to speak freely. But the unfortunate fact is there are certain parts of the world where there, there is, those things cannot be taken for granted. And Qatar in the Middle East, um, by and large, is one of those regions. And so Infantino needs to walk a very fine line. Now, my position would be don't put yourself in a situation where you need to walk that fine line by granting the tournament to a country or a region where those things aren't able to be, where things aren't able to be said freely, where people don't have those basic human rights, whether it's LGBTQ or whether it's uh, immigrant rights of the, the, the work, the migrant workers who were there. Um, so I, I, ag I agree with you. Um, and I think we're, you know, we're, we're later on in the show, we're going to talk about what we're thankful for. That's one of the things I'm thankful for as an American, right, is the ability to, to be able to speak my mind freely without fear of retribution or, you know, being silenced or, or, or censored by the government or others. You know, people can take exception to what I say, and they often do, but um, that's something that he is being forced to reckon with um, because FIFA made the decision to grant the 2022 World Cup to the country of Qatar. Yeah, I think it's, you know, what just kind of strikes me funny about his approach has been that by a lot of people's understanding, there was a lot of money paid out by this very small Gulf country, um, Qatar, uh, to FIFA representatives and those that had power over the decision. I mean, it's been, it's getting documented more and more uh, as the games actually progress and will continue to be. So to me, you know, who did who the favor? Would that be who did whom the favor? I don't know. Yeah. Um, so the idea of not being able to go in and speak what is supposedly FIFA represents. Now, you are absolutely right. We live where we live and we expect certain things. And I don't expect uh, every piece of the world to have the same values or beliefs or, or um, you know, which which religions are the most popular. That's just the way the, that's just the way the world is. But when it comes to certain basic human rights, if FIFA uh, claims to represent those and they have it written into their strategy about how they're trying to build. And I will say this, you know, they said everyone will be welcome. That's their line that they keep using. Everyone will be welcome. And I haven't seen anything yet that indicates that that is not true. But I think we'll have to see as the tournament progresses, obviously. We actually have a guest coming up uh, on the ground that uh, that hopefully will shed some light as to, you know, what what the feeling is among those patrons that are that have visited Qatar from afar and, and trying to enjoy the World Cup. Yeah, you, you, we welcome everyone. As long as you keep your mouth shut, don't protest and download these two tracking apps that are required for everybody who enters the country. Right. Yeah, that's, that's in the fine print, David. Yeah. So, yeah, but there's I, a, there's a, you know, you, you alluded to it earlier. There's a lot of other stuff going on, right? You know, we, we talked last week about the 11th hour, the organizing committee requiring Anheuser-Busch to move their beer sales uh, facilities to remote places within the, uh, within the stadia. And then we've come to find after that, that they completely banned sales of beer in most areas of, of the stadiums that are being used. Um, it is still available in the VIP suites. 
Um, and there are other fan zones apparently where you can buy it. But, you know, AB InBev pays in, uh, a reported $75 million to be a FIFA World Cup sponsor. This is, a, you know, this is a big part of the deal. Now, I don't know how much they would have sold, right, in a Muslim country, right? When you look at some of the, uh, you know, you look at the Saudi Arabia match, you look at the, the Qatar match, there are a lot of people, the Iran match, a lot of the people who are flying in because it's a short flight are Muslims and probably wouldn't be drinking beer anyway, right? So I don't know if they're foregoing as many sales as they would have otherwise. But as the tournament goes on and those countries ostensibly, um, you know, get knocked out, well, Saudi Arabia may not after the the results of the Argentina match, which we can talk about in a minute. Um, you know, they may be losing more and more sales as more Western teams, you know, are, are supposed to progress within the tournament. Yeah, the, the and this decision came down so late. It seemed mind-boggling that it came down that late. Uh, obviously, people when the game when when World Cup was awarded to Qatar, it was known what the local rules are. But they they said they were able to uh, make this all work, and AB had all these plans in place. I will say this, and this is this is why Anheuser Busch is such a legendary sports sponsor. I haven't read all the details on this story, but they basically announced that any of the beer that will not be consumed uh, there is going to one kick-ass celebration party for the winning team, for the winning country, which I just think was a great quick move on their part. But again, uh, Infantino came out and said, it's really not that big of a deal. Like, why didn't he defend his sponsor in that one moment to say, okay, it's trouble, but they're a great partner, we're gonna make it work, but just kind of went there. Yeah, I, I mean, the fact of the matter is, in a month from now, they will have left Qatar and never to return, right? In our lifetimes, and probably for a long time after that. <laughs> You'd like to think they would like to retain AB and Bev as a uh, as a sponsor behind beyond this next sponsorship deal. You're right. He he could have he could have defended his sponsor. This the, these the tournament was awarded to Qatar on the last business day of 2010, right? So to your point. <laughs> Yeah, 12 years, yeah, 12, almost 12 years to, right. to, to do this. And, and it, it seems in a best case scenario, it seems capricious to make this decision so late. Uh, in a worst case scenario, it was it was planned all along right. to to cause maximum pain for a, for a, a FIFA global sponsor. It seems to me that the lines coming out of FIFA are in support of the thing that the detractors are saying Qatar is doing with these with this competition anyway, and that's sports washing. We've talked about sports washing a lot mm -hmm. here. And this is, you know, there's no doubt that, you know, spending the kind of money that they have on not only putting this tournament on, but bidding on it and all those other things, a yeah. ton, a ton of money. And so um, to, to play along with that, uh, and make sure that the messaging is all just in lockstep with the host country. Just that's the thing that's just driving me crazy. And it seems consistent with this idea that when they said they didn't want to have protests, particularly on the pitch, although there were a few team captains, uh, including from England, saying that they were going to wear captain's patches on of the of the one love call out uh, in support of the LGBTQ community. Uh, and then they not only said there would be fines, which I think most of the teams would have been fine with, but actual penalties uh, and yellow cards uh, given. And, yeah, and which, which to me is, you know, yes, if they would have fined them 
financially, then then a team could have made a decision based on what they wanted to do. And I, I guarantee you some of the sponsors probably would have stepped up and paid those fines. But to then say that we're going to we're going to penalize you by by issuing yellow cards that imp that impacts the integrity of the tournament. Right. And the play on the on, on the pitch. Absolutely. Potentially. Right. So the, the tournament has been used for good. And I want to talk about that in a couple of minutes. But let's let's uh, kick FIFA while they're down, if you don't, if you don't mind, for for a couple couple minutes. First of all, there was after we recorded last week, there were reports in the media that the the Qatari national team was uh, paying bribes to the to Ecuadorian players um, to throw the match. Um, it was so specific as to say that the game would end one nil in favor of Qatar. We now know that. Uh, you know, Ecuador prevailed 2-0. Um, so either they took the money and ran, or what was more likely is uh more likely is that that was a, a fabricated story to the point that where they where they even put, you know, what the final score was going to be. It seems like in retrospect that story was planted and was not based in fact, right? Which is unfortunate. Um, but I was I was glad to see because Ecuador was the was the favorite going into sure. the match, right? And they and they prevailed. And I think if you know you look at the the AI and the big data that's run, right? That's probably a a, a result that um, people would look at and go, yeah, okay, that's an expected result for that match. So that was good to see. Um, the the other thing um, there was <laughs> there was a chant in the um, during the match the other day. We want beer <laughs> during, <laughs> during the Iran. I believe it was during the Iran uh, England match. I'm not sure though. It's all a football fan really wants when it comes down to it. Is hard fought competition on the pitch and well, beer. our our yeah, our guests can talk about it. Right, the three P's right of uh, of halftime of football. Right, uh, a pint, a pie, and a urination. That's the case, <laughs> right? But, uh, you know, you were talking about the one love. Um, Alex Scott, who is now a reporter for BBC, formerly a member of the Lady Lions, the England national team. Good on her. She actually wore the one love armband um, and even turned so that that armband was facing the camera as she was conducting her interviews um, pre-match. Um, so uh, a big shout out to Alex Scott for that. David, I said earlier that there is some good coming out of this tournament, right? With all of the talk about controversy and focus on human rights and things like this, I want to I want to call attention to two things that the Iranian team did. One was the captain of the Iranian national team during a press conference acknowledged um, the situation in Iran and said that people need to speak up about it. I thought that was an incredibly brave uh, and courageous thing for him to do. Um, so I wanted to shout out, uh, that what was equally subversive, um, was, and I use that term in a positive way, right? Speaking truth to power, uh, the entire national team stood silently during the national anthem played before their match against England. And traditionally teams will sing their national anthem while it's being played prior to a match. So I wanted to, I wanted to shout out. The Iranian team uh, in general, and the and the captain in particular, for taking what could prove to be um, a very brave and potentially dangerous stance uh, when they return to their home country after the tournament. 
Tim, thanks for pointing that out. I, I think they were pretty brave moments, and I do think it's going to be interesting to follow that to see what what it means uh, after this tournament closes out. Uh, yeah, big moment. See, and sometimes we look for those at these big type of events because it's a big platform. I think it's time to take a break. We have a really fun guest coming up live from Qatar. So I'm uh, going to bring that to you here in a bit. It's time for our guest. Joining us now from Qatar to provide some on-the-ground perspective on World Cup 2022 is Chris Perlman. Now, we do want to get to Chris's observations here quickly, but Chris deserves an intro as he's not only one of my favorite sports biz sales execs, but uh, one of my favorite and certainly one of the most well-dressed people in this business. Um, Chris is the founder and CEO of Aggregate Sports that represents leading sports properties, including U.S. figure skating. Prior to opening the doors at Aggregate, Chris served as president of Kaplan Levian Sports, owner of Swansea City, AFC, currently in the English Championship, and MLS's DC United. He also served as the chief operating officer of Swansea. So the man obviously has some serious soccer creds. Uh, prior to moving to Wales to assume his role with Swansea, he uh, led the sales operation at Van Wagner Sports Entertainment, which is where Chris and I became uh, very good friends. So, Chris, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So let's go ahead and get started. And because you are visiting over in Qatar, I think you went over on Sunday. Let's you know give our listeners a general overview of the vibe there uh, with World Cup 2022 now just a few days in. Yeah, it's a, it's. I, I think the 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 fun and excitement started on uh, my connection on the way over here. Uh, <laughs> connected through Paris, and uh, the flight from Paris to Qatar was dominated predominantly by a lot of uh, Mexicans and Argentinians. And I would imagine uh, the Argentinians right now are not as buoyant as they were on the flight when it touched down in in, in Qatar. But it was a, a a fun environment on the way over. Um, a lot of singing at the airport before we boarded the flight, um, you know, kind of typical global football vibe. Um, and, you know, once once we landed and not surprisingly, you guys have been to a lot of, you know, major global sporting events, a lot of a uh, lot of signage at the airport. Um, everything here is 100 percent World Cup. And, and it's pretty much what this all the city's talking about. So we were talking earlier, Chris, about some of the controversy surrounding the the World Cup, going back to the announcement of Qatar as the, as the host country. But now that you're on the ground, are you seeing any evidence of that in your travels and in your conversations and so forth? You know, I think there's, the, you, you hear talk about it from people, you know, attending the matches, you, there's discussions about it. Um, it doesn't seem to be, a big part, though, of the environment here, um, you know, I, I, I don't. I think people who who are here as fans are here to watch soccer. They're not here, um, you know, to to wade into the political um, issues that that surround the event. Um, but I do think, you know, just because the culture here is a little bit different than than what you've seen at different World Cups, the lack of you know um, alcohol and what comes with um events where people especially soccer where you know, it's kind of a big part of the culture you don't see that as much which creates a bit of a different environment to be sure but um from a political perspective there's in you know the the what i've seen so far there hasn't been a whole lot of it here 
my perspective probably is a little bit different though, just because I'm, you know, obviously in, in the business. So I'm a little bit more attuned to it. And, you know, the stuff I'm reading, the, the podcasts I'm listening to, the, you know, the, the articles I'm reading, I do see it. But in terms of the day-to-day um, conversation that you hear in the street, that you're talking to people on the way into the match, there hasn't been a lot of that. Now, you know, you can just blink twice. <laughs> if, uh, I'm, if you have to signal anything, kidding. All right. So you went to the U.S.-Wales match last night, yeah, the yeah. dark time last night. So first question, most important question, were you in an area where you were able to drink beer? I was, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and that, yeah that, 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 that was, um, it was certainly added to, to some of the fun around the match. Heading into it, I was actually uncertain whether or not the area that I was sitting in would serve beer, and we went and we were, we were happy to see the Budweiser's uh, for sure. But um, obviously that's been, been an issue for other people. Right. So last week on the show, we talked about, um, we talked about this match, and we had – Tim and I had a little bit of debate about, you know, whether there really was a Wrexham effect. And you may recall, because I mentioned this to you, Tim being Tim, you know, kind of made a little, you know, said, you can't even, you don't even know what whales are on the match. McGee, I got to tell you, when I, I saw Chris last week, when we first started talking about this, and I told him that story, and he said, can you place it on the map? <laughs> he, had this, he had the same belief. He knew he had I, a friend in I, Wales. I, I, no, I obviously, I obviously have like stupid geography face or something. We do want to know what the vibe was on on television. It looked as though there was a great balance, uh, uh, and that the U.S. fans were super obviously in the first half when they when when the U.S. men's national team was playing really well. Um, what was it like in the building? And and do you think that there was any non-partisans that would be safe? Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I, I I'd start by saying the Welsh fans and. I'm obviously I'm, I'm an American. I was I was I was decked out in in Americana with the um, bandana and carrying the flag and the scarf and the whole thing, um, rooting for America. But having spent three years in Wales and kind of personally knowing a number of the members of of the of on the of the Welsh team who played for for Swansea or you know played in the Swansea Academy, I think there's six Swansea players, six Swansea Academy players who are playing in the World Cup. I have an affinity for Wales, and I can tell you without question the welsh fans are the the best and you know by a wide margin were much much louder than the americans up until the u.s scored and when the u.s scored the environment changed considerably in the first half um and when wales came in and and, and tied uh the match and it, it ended up you know they, they were allowed again but um yeah i think the the way the welsh are and this is true with the english as well they, you know, they, they got a lot more experience at these kind of games and, and they, they sing beautifully. And, you know, I think, I, I, I think, I think that the chance that they have are, 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 are wonderful. So there was, I got the sense and they were all decked out in red and you saw like Americans in different types of colors. So the Welsh supporter section was, you know, a sea of red. The U S had probably more fans in, in, in the stadium with, I think I'd say my guess is it was probably 65, 35 American fans to Welsh fans. But in terms of um, noise, it was more Welsh for sure. Um, up until the U S scored pre-match without question. Um, but, and then from a neutral perspective, I'm sure there were some there, but you know, I, there was that, 
everybody had a had a side i think that they were rooting for whether or not they were a hardcore fan or not so listen you're going to need to get us a photo of you and i imagine rem rem to yep. on your partner at aggregate I will, I, uh, I, and I will. so we can include in a video clip of this for sure I will, that'd be uh, awesome I'll, I'll send it i'll send it uh yeah i'll send it come out coming out awesome. i was i was i was a little concerned i was going to run into some welsh friends there um when i was in my american garb looking very very american um <laughs> <laughs> You know, we in the sports business, we we can enjoy sporting events like this, but we always have our eye towards the commercial aspect of this. So as you're going through the fan areas, as you're coming into the stadium, have you seen any sponsors that have jumped out at you as doing a particularly good job of activating their partnership with FIFA in this World Cup? You know, not honest, honestly, Tim, not 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 that I've seen yet, to be honest with you. There, there's a lot of Qatar Airways branding. You know, obviously they're they're a sponsor, um, but we're in, we're in Qatar. Um, Budweiser, I can only imagine what it might have looked like outside the stadium with, mm -hmm. with with their branding. Beyond that, I didn't see much at all. You know, obviously, you see the field boards. Um, we went down today to the souk um which is an area right by the water which is a lot where a lot of the the, the activations would be taking place you know the the reality and this gets back to i guess kind of holding the the world cup in in a place like qatar um where i guess you know the the there is less outward celebration there there's it's definitely you know one of the things i read a little bit before coming here and that I've, that I've seen um, here firsthand, there's a, you see all and the beauty of the world cup, right? There's fans of all countries here. Literally you see jerseys of every country that's participating tons of cultures, which is just phenomenal to see, but everything's a little more subdued, right? I think like the, the vibe here, and I've been to one other world cup um, back in the U S I've been to a few champions league finals. I've been to, you know, probably a hundred premier league matches. The, there's there's something kind of missing in terms of the um, broader, I guess, people's ability or desire to just kind of step out a little bit more. Everybody's it's a little more subdued, and whether or not that's the lack of alcohol, whether or not that's because of less fans, you know, made the trip because of um, the difficulty of of, of doing so um, with this locale, or people, you know, not wanting to for you know their own personal political beliefs probably all plays a part of it um it's and i'll give i'll give you another example um today when argentina was playing saudi arabia we weren't in our hotel we were out on the street i knew what the score was because i was looking at my phone difficult to find we were in a very populated area difficult to find like you know certainly there's no bars here right but restaurants with the match on right there's like one or two where there was a lot of people around it but beyond that, you see a lot of people walking on the street, looking at their, watching the match on their phone. But what you don't get here at all, which is unusual for, you know, a soccer environment is packed restaurants and bars where people are just, you know, crowded around the TV and like the place explodes when, when a goal is scored. Hmm. If you didn't know the World Cup was, if you didn't know that match was going on, you would not be, because you were a soccer fan, it wasn't one of those things where like, in, if you're walking down the street in another city and there's a big game on, you may not know that there's a game on before you leave, but when you're out, you'll know it because people are crowded around TVs everywhere. 
that's not the case here at all. And that and that's different. And that's a cultural thing for sure. And that I think takes away from the from the environment to an extent. Um, but but at the end of the day, you know, soccer fans are are just a, a, a different type of person. And, and the, the the mix of cultures here makes it an exciting environment regardless. But it is a little bit different. And a great perspective. Very uh, fascinating. Take us through the rest of your schedule, matches that you're planning to see, other things yeah. that you're hoping to accomplish or see while you're there. Yeah, so from a from a spectator supporter perspective, tonight um, going to uh, France, Australia. Um, tomorrow, Belgium, Canada. Um, Thursday, Portugal, Ghana. Uh, Friday, doing a double, doing in the morning, doing Wales, Iran, and then um, Friday night, uh, USA, England, which obviously is. Uh, I'm is, jealous. Is, is the yeah? I'm really looking forward to that one. Um, and don't have tickets for Saturday yet. Um, the uh, the uh, Argentina Mexico game is a tough ticket to get, and um, it's super super expensive. Yeah. Um, so there's and there's one or two others that that, that we made. I'll, I'll end up going to a game on Saturday. Not sure which one, and then and then we're out on Sunday. Um, beyond that, a few meetings. You know, try to justify the trip with with, with some work while we're here. So a, a few meetings lined up for for. <laughs> For tomorrow and and Thursday, um, but it, and you know the, the other interesting thing at at around the you know my hotel as an example for whatever reason um, you know, the the matches aren't on the television in the chat in in the room here so you have to go to the hotel bar um, to watch the matches so and and you know so that that's made makes viewing other matches. You know, not not inconvenient, but not as convenient as it otherwise might be. Like throwing a, the, the early match here is at one o'clock, throwing that on the TV in your room, you, you can't do. You got to go out to to the hotel bar to to watch it. So, um, but and just you know, experiencing the culture, walking around a little bit. It's definitely you know different type of city than than I've been in in the past. Um, spending time with my my friend and business partner Rem walking around and uh, just enjoying the, the the World Cup scene. Wow, I, I don't know about you, David, but I'm jealous. Yeah, totally, totally. So, uh, Chris, I know the story is still being written, but given your experience in global football, given your experience in the sports business in general, take out your crystal ball and tell us what you think the lasting legacy of this world cup might be yeah well i think um the press has done a, i think a very good job shining a light on on the issues in qatar and and you know people many people rightfully so have questioned fifa's decision to award the city the world cup and sports washing and all that um is is, is very real having said that the benefit of of them doing that and, and the light that's been shined on what's happened here is um, probably a lot more people know about some of the bad things that are going to Qatar than they might, might otherwise, you know, not know had this not happened. So I guess that's kind of looking at, at the silver lining of the situation. Um, you'd like to think that the, you know, because of what's happened here and because of the press that's comes out of this, obviously a lot of which is, is not favorable for, for FIFA and, and not favorable for, for Qatar. That FIFA might learn its lesson, um, but hearing Infantino speak before the tournament, <laughs> maybe not. Right. So um, it's 
it's an interesting world we live in where you know decisions are made not necessarily for for the right reasons and obviously there's a lot of influence that goes on um behind the scenes is that changing i don't know well i guess we'll we'll see who who gets the world cup in in 2030 and that might be a sign but you know um russia for for the for the last one and qatar here it's two interesting choices will things are things changing i i guess you know per, perhaps to to an extent but i think um to, to answer long with the answer to your question tim the 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 legacy i i think will be one where um you know a light was 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 shown on some issues some big big issues and you know i think we're all more aware because of that and i think you know beef has gotten a lot of stick because of this rightfully so and you know hopefully you know people are just a little bit more educated and i think the more educated people become the better off everybody will be because you know the reality of 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 some of the you know struggles that 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 people have gone through here um it's you know when you're from the us you don't necessarily see it on a day-to-day basis just one, one quick other story rem and i after the match last night got back to the hotel we went to the hotel bar for a drink the same hotel bar where we were watching the game on earlier but at night it turns into a, a bit of a nightclub here we go to walk into the to the nightclub or to the, to the hotel bar and uh read the rules to get in no women were allowed in the nightclub it was only men um and you know things like that are just eye-opening right to say geez like here we are in you know 2022 and the fact that and you know we're in a country that is welcoming the the, the world here ostensibly and women aren't allowed into the to the bar that you go to it's like it's that it says a lot so there's yeah. still a lot to be done but but just having these kind of conversations people learning about that you know hopefully things Things are begin will begin to change. Yeah, I I can understand that just being so mind boggling in a way because they're the, you know, obviously the city is so modern, particularly Doha, so modern in all of the visuals, and they they've created this, uh, all these facilities to be able to put this on and and you know kind of what they show, and then the, these things are just have to be you know right. eye opening and and to your point because we talked about Infantino's response to all of this early and. We'll see what he says after. That's actually what I'm going to now be curious yeah. is when the tournament closes and a champion is um, honored and awarded, what's he going to say? Was it all just to kind of get yeah. through in peace and uh, so forth? But I think that was really, really great perspective uh, to get there, Chris. Hey, before we let you go, we always like that. We usually ask two questions. We're only going to ask you one question because we know you have to get to a match and we didn't necessarily you know, prep you fully on, on this one. Yes, sir. But the main question we want to ask is... Well, tell career get started. Where to start it? <laughs> um, so, you know, and uh, we all maybe have different versions of, of the story, um, but I was uh, a graduate from, from Wesleyan University, and I um, didn't want to do what a lot of my other friends were doing as they were getting into um, like more, more traditional jobs. And I sent my resume out to every um, back then, you know, the, the internet wasn't, or I guess it was around, but Google wasn't around. You couldn't really, um, not as easily find 
what the sports marketing companies were and, you know, who the right people were, were to reach out to. I remember going to my local public library and opening a, a book on books on sports marketing, reading some articles. I read an article, I sent my resume to every sports team that was out there. Um, read an article, was reading a Sports Illustrated article about agents, one of the um, big agencies back then, which David knows very well, ProServe uh, had represented Michael Jordan back in the day, sent my resume into, in, into ProServe and the person who was screening resumes there went to Amherst and I'd gone to Wesley and it's part of the little three. And the reason she um, interviewed me was because I was, I had gone to a, a little three school, ended up interning at, at ProServe in New York and got my the full-time job of being the personal assistant to Donald Dell um, down in DC um back uh and that's and, and that's how how i started put put in my my time doing that so the reason i wanted you to tell that story and have it play out or many reasons because we like our we like the listeners to kind of hear how people went about getting their first job in this space in different ways but it's another new first it's another first that we had a guest on donald dell some time ago and now we have one of his interns that is now elevated his status so high in the business <laughs> that he's a guest on the Wait What Sports Piss Chat show with DP and McGee. I love it. As if being a guest on the show is some sort of accomplishment that somebody's going to have for their bio. <laughs> We're just always looking. We're just always yeah, looking. I mean, no, but that yeah, is, well, that's they, a great they, story. As, as I know you know, I'm sure you've seen, the number of people who've, who have come through or touched ProServe in, in some way, it's pretty remarkable the, the amount of uh, amount of people who got throughout the beginning of the career, you know, were part of the ProServe contingency, so. Sure is. Listen, Chris, so grateful to have you on the show. We're wishing you a wonderful Thanksgiving. We know you're gonna be away from home uh, during it, but we hope you have a great time. And it's so great, really wonderful to get the perspective from from on the ground so we appreciate you taking some time with us great chat you david great time with you tim thanks so much guys chris enjoy the rest of the term and thank you appreciate it well that was a lot of fun to have chris perlman of aggregate sports join us from his trip to qatar to be part of the festivities around World Cup 2022. Really great perspective and, and hearing things on the ground because you know we talk about World Cup quite a bit and have obviously on this show, uh, but usually from you know what is being reported and what our own views are. So that was really nice to get. We're gonna do something a little different than we normally do at this part of the show where we talk about what we're looking for because obviously it is Thanksgiving week and uh, we wanted to take a little time as we uh, are now on our 45th episode, the most international episode we've ever done because Tim's in Canada and we our guest was in Qatar. And and you and uh, take a little time and and I <laughs> and, I'm you, in and my you, new studio and you and you failed to acknowledge the fact that it's Thanksgiving only in the United States, thinking that taking that very uh, U.S. centric view that everybody I, else in our global audience is is celebrating I, Thanksgiving as we. I, well, I have that planned for my clothes, but you're right. Okay, I so let's go back. Okay. Right, well, I listen, we, you know, we, you're right. You are absolutely right. It is Thanksgiving week here and an important holiday for, uh, uh, for, for all of us here. It's certainly one of my favorites. So what we're going to do, 
regardless of the fact that we happen to be American, because I think it's a good thing to do this anyway from time to time, is uh, talk a little about what we are thankful for as uh, we head into this uh, holiday here in the United States. So, But I'm going to let you start, Tim. Well, I'm thankful that you put up with my nonsense. Um, now, first and foremost, I'm thankful for our guests and our listeners, right? They are what make this show what it is. So a sincere thanks to all of the people who listen and like us and follow us and share us and give us feedback uh, and to our guests. We've had, you know, from Chris Perlman to Jeff Burton to Kathy Engelbert to Gary Placino to Stephen Chris. I mean, we've just had a phenomenal run of guests over the last 11 months. So thank you to them. Um, I want to thank Pickleball and Daniel Snyder. <laughs> Wait, Liv doesn't make that? <laughs> and Liv Golf. <laughs> right, because without Pickleball and Daniel Snyder and Liv Golf, we'd have 20-minute episodes. <laughs> Maybe those listeners that I was just referring to might be happier. But they give us no shortage of things to talk about on this program so thank you um and last but not least um i i want to uh i want to well i want to thank you david for coming up with this idea for bringing me into your idea and for making this one of the funnest things i've ever done in my career over the last 11 months and i'm really looking forward to year two uh, working with you on this so a sincere thanks to you well, I appreciate that. And um, so much you said, obviously, I, I share in terms of uh, being thankful. But I, I do want to start. Um, this has been a fascinating year business-wise. So, uh, you know, I want to thank the clients uh, that allow me to work on their behalf. Uh, it's a privilege to work with them. And I've had some exciting new ones uh, come on board this year. I do want to give a shout out to my parents, John and Sophie Paro. They've been battling some health issues of late, and obviously no one deserves more thanks from me than than them. Uh, I love you, mom and dad. My dad, faithful listener of the podcast. Uh, thank my partner, Karen Bromberg. She improves my life in a lot of ways and allows me to usually once a week turn part of the apartment into a podcast studio. So I've appreciated that. My kids, Jill and Jessica, Jill Paro's birthday today. So happy birthday to Jill. Uh, and my son-in-law, Phil Hughes, who, along with Jessica, brought in a, uh, a beautiful grandson to my life this year. So uh, has made this year even uh, extra, extra special. And yes, thankful to this, you mentioned Gary Placino earlier, little podcast journey that you and I started back in January. It's... Um, it's been more than I expected. So thank you, yes, to all of our amazing guests. Thank you to everyone that has listened here in the U.S. and around the world. And Tim, thank you. Thank you for being such an unbelievable partner to take this ride with. And as I tell anyone that says what makes this thing worth doing every week, it's I, I, I generally say I just know at one point in the show, McGee's going to say something that makes me laugh and it just makes me want to get to the next episode again. So thank you for that because you brought a lot of uh, laughter into the show and program and it, it just makes it so enjoyable for me. So thank you. My pleasure, partner. Yeah. So that's it for this episode. As mentioned, a our most international. Um, big thanks to Chris Perlman for checking in with us from Qatar. I would like to wish everyone here in the States a wonderful, safe, long, food-filled Thanksgiving. 
a great time, by the way, to catch up on your podcast listening. Uh, so thanks for the listens, the likes, the shares, the engagement. And until next week, I'm DP. He's McGee. We'll talk soon.